The Church of Scientology is known for taking extreme measures to discredit, condemn and vilify anyone who speaks out against them. And for that reason, we've had to be very careful about concealing the identity of today's guest to protect him and members of his family who are still inside Scientology. So for today's purposes, he'll be known as James. Welcome, James. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on the Curious Life podcast. As you know, Scientology has been the subject of a number of high-profile exposés recently, with Leah Remini and Mike Rinder most notably exposing shocking stories of abuse and harassment experienced by those who've left the church and who have spoken out publicly about their experiences. So today we're going to put you in the hot seat and dive into your experiences as a former member of Scientology. Fun. So let's start at the beginning. What can you tell us about how you came to be involved with Scientology? Um, I was sort of born into it. My mother, father sort of worked for the Sea Org and then had me. And, and so at being a Sea Org child, I grew up in Scientology schools and, well, Sea Org schools. There are Scientology schools and then there are Sea Org schools and stuff. So it was... Yeah. It was something that was given to you. It wasn't a choice you made. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd talk about the difference between Sea Org schools and Scientology schools. So my understanding of the Sea Org is that it's executive level Scientology. So does that mean the schools and the kids that are in the schools are in a different level of Scientology? Um, It's it's kind of interesting and and I do – I do find it important to differentiate between the Sea Org and between Scientology because Scientology is the religion itself. But then in 1970, like he, I think one of the big concerns that Hubbard had was that people would take the information themselves and deliver it their own way. And, and he was quite concerned about that. So he created the Sea Org to, I guess, safeguard and protect the technology. So it's, it, it's kind of the upper echelon. Like most people would, um, equated to like the seminary and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think when, when it was created, there wasn't much of consideration about what the ramifications were going to be. So like in Scientology, you believe in uh, the whole basis of Scientology is um, the study of self. It's, it's the whole basis is that we believe that everyone's trying to survive and the way that they survive is amongst um, eight different uh, avenues. So, so Scientology is very much about, you know, in order to survive the best way, you you kind of push, you kind of try to do what's best for more dynamics than what's worse. And it's just understanding the balance and all that sort of stuff. And so interestingly, um, when they created the Sea Org, I don't think they were aware that like, you know, people were going to have this many kids. And so, it, but they're religious. And so, it, you know, you can't have sex until marriage and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. And the Sea Org is more where, you, you know, you do the work for them. And so you sign the billionaire contract and there is that rigidity. And it's all, it's all under the mask of protecting the technology. Okay. Um, and so when they sort of had the Sea Org members in the 70s and stuff like that, it, there, a bunch of kids were born and they didn't know what to do with them. So they, a lot of it was off the cuff. So a lot of it was, you know, ours started in a, a parking lot or something like we, wow. it was very, very much. They didn't know what to do because we were being born, but they also didn't want us to distract our parents because our parents were there for a job. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we were 
it was just very off the cuff. At some point they realized that we were a resource and that we would grow up to be Sea Org members as well. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of invested a little bit more, but also like, you know, things were happening outside and they couldn't control that. So then they had to move us and then they were worried about the image. And so it was just, it was just a lot and they didn't really know what to do. So what you're saying is a kind of ad hoc. They were making it up kind of as they went along. Very much. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of people have admitted that, like there are many policies and stuff to that effect where they're kind of like, what do we do? (laughs) So was was that the same for the Scientology kids or was this just specifically the Sea Org kids? Mm. No, in Scientology, like as just, just as if you were Catholic or anything like that, you go to church Mm -hmm. and you, you know, you read your things and you all that sort of stuff, but you go home. The kids do go home to their parents and stuff. Whereas we didn't, we, we, that it was like boarding, but you know, for me, it was boarding when I was, very, very, very little. Yeah. Yeah. From the day you took your first breath. <laughs> Quite literally. The, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's interesting. Is it as crazy as one I'm imagining that like you're born and taken from your parents and cared for by somebody else? I have, I have very little memory mm-hmm. from that. And I don't think, you know, my family really is about reminding me what happened so that I have like little memories and stuff, but no, I was, I was, I was in a cot in diapers. Um, I was bottle fed by staff. I was, I did get to see my mom. My mom was very active and, you know, trying to see us and stuff, but um, no, we, from literally diapers, we were, yeah, raised by other people. And some of the, like a few times they had people who weren't Sea Org members looking after us. So they didn't know, again, they didn't know what they were doing. Mm. So they just tried everything and we, they failed a lot and they succeeded in some cases. And (laughs) And they tried again. And they tried again. (laughs) And then it got to the point, I mean, there was like, you know, 350 kids at my school and, you know, maybe... 10 staff or something. I'm a little short on details, but yes, there was mm-hmm. at one point we had to, um, the place that they bought, which was the 35 acre school. There were so many people there were, we literally couldn't be in any of the buildings. So we had to just be intense. Wow. Like that was a good portion was like, what do we do now? They're all here. Oh my God. What do we do? So we literally lived in tents. You were living in tents. Were you then studying any kind of curriculum or as much as they could. Um, I'm not entirely sure about the legal logistics. I don't think we were actually registered as a school until a bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had different studies. We had the three R's study, which I think someone illiterate kind of came up with that because they say the three R's for reading, writing, and arithmetic. And oh. We kind of, they don't all start with an R. Interesting. For those then- of you reading at home. <laughs> well, it's interesting that the founder of the organization was a writer. You would think that I did, someone would have done some, you know, checking on that at some point. Well, so like he started the Sea in the 70s and then he died sort of late 80s and I was born 87. So all of this sort of happened mm. after he died. Like okay. I did, he didn't have much input in how yeah. we were raised. So it's yeah. not like a lot of the policies and stuff. And so in the end, the church basically, because they got so overwhelmed with children, they stopped searing members from having children, which is why I find quite wow. interesting because here you have this 
technology that says the best way to survive is along these dynamics. And then in the Sea Org, because they can't literally cannot do anything with the children, you can't have children. Wow. You you know, if you get pregnant, they kind of give you the option of you know Well, they don't abortion. Give you an option. <laughs> no, no, you can. You can have oh. an abortion or you go. Really? That's, yeah. Wow. And would that would going mean being completely disconnected? No. Okay. No, not necessarily. They're the it's one of the big problems with the church. They do try to think of themselves as quite fair. Mm-hmm. So even when you're leaving, you are given a lot of avenues and stuff. There are certain blanket things that if you do, that's sort of it. Um, and some of them, they, they've given some wiggle room to some people and some people they're just like, no, okay. we're all like that. Yeah. So. It probably depends on who you are, what your relationship is like and what you bring to the organization perhaps. Yeah. Yes, actually. Okay. Yeah. Interestingly. Um, so if you are pregnant, there's no way they're going to be like, get out or yeah. you're declared. You can't talk to anyone. They do give you the option and they do sort of say, if you decide to go, you, it's all done fairly. So everyone who leaves, um, this year goes through what's called um, a security check, mm-hmm. and um, that's done on the the meter and all that sort of stuff. But it's it's just a confessional that's done okay. sort of on the meter. And um, there's actually one that's written, and I I can't remember exactly. It's been so long, but I think it's like 25 pages front and back. And some questions can take you a week to get through. Wow. So they know that, and they know, but because it's a policy and it's been that that's how it is. And you follow the policy to the letter. So they understand that. And they, they do try to, in some cases, help you out if you have sort of a reason to leave faster. So if you go through the security check and you go through their avenues, you are still in relatively good standing. Like I, I mean, for now can still mm-hmm. talk to my family and all that sort of stuff. But if you don't follow that, that Avenue, then you're more likely to, there are just blatant things that you cannot okay. do, but so they've to try and, expedite the process they try to tailor make some for you so mm-hmm. instead of it being you know 375 questions or whatever it is they'll ask you maybe 12 that's specific to you and your experience okay in this year so they do try but that can still take you know months or it can take wow. two days or it just depends on okay it's case to case yeah okay yeah. interesting so Going, bringing back to your school experience, can I assume that if you were not living with your parents, you probably weren't mixing with kids outside of Scientology? As a, no. Okay. So you were absolutely within the organization and cut off from the external world completely or? Not completely. Um, we did have, I mean, at one point we were, so I mean, it's location, but we were sort of in the metropolitan area and that was, um, you know, we'd see people go by and all that sort of stuff. And for the most part, it was Scientology or Scientology related people. Mm-hmm. Um, when we sort of moved out into rural area, it you were quite cut off from everybody because you had no really reason to yeah. go anywhere. And also, despite trying to leave a few times, <laughs> um, we would go like we'd go shopping once a week or so and we'd go to places like Walmart and stuff. And so we mm-hmm. we would be around other people. Okay. We were vast we were distinctly aware that we were different. Okay. Like we we knew we were different. It wasn't we weren't under some delusion that we were, you know, anything. We just thought I mean it's it's a lot for like a, a kid to take in the idea that, you know, we affect 
all of mankind. Mm-hmm. So we we were told it enough times, but when we'd go out, it was more. We were just distinctly aware we were different. It wasn't like okay. we. I don't necessarily think we felt superior because we would often go in clothes that were really run down and, you know, myself smelling of horse manure and stuff like that. And I, so it <laughs> not the most flattering thing, but um, so we, we were aware, like we, okay. we knew, we thought maybe we were probably smarter, mm-hmm. but we didn't think we were better, I guess. Okay. Like, I, I don't know. I think it's different from person to person, but yeah. I, I know I didn't feel like I was better yeah. than everyone else. Was there now? No. (laughs) (laughs) Was there ever any point where you like looked at the other kids and you, I don't know, you had a sense that you were missing out on anything, or was it always that? Yes. Okay. But again, this is a case by case thing. Mm -hmm. So, a lot of the kids um, did have like, as I briefly sort of mentioned before, some kids did have parents, one parent who was in and one Mm -hmm. parent who was out, and then some people had two parents that were in the Sea Org, but the rest of their immediate family weren't in. Um, so you got a lot of like, and because the church is so worried about how it's perceived and they don't want, I mean, haven't done a great job, but because they were so worried about how they were perceived, they never wanted to do anything that could come back to bite mm-hmm. them. So um, we did often have at the ranch, we'd have just one of the other parents would come and pick up their child and then they'd go off for the day, you know, just, okay. and so I was jealous of those kids as well. Mm. Like it, it's, it's all different levels. Some mm. um, parents made it a point of coming up to visit their kids every weekend. And I didn't my, like, I think some kids were jealous of me. My mom worked really hard to be with us. So she did laundry for us and she did a bunch of other stuff. Like, so she could be with us as much as she could. Um, and so I think some kids were jealous of me, but she and I weren't insanely close. Mm-hmm. I love her very much, but she, uh, but so it's, it's all case to case. Yeah. Like, yes, we'd see people on the outside and we, we'd be like, oh my God, they can buy whatever they want and they can eat whatever they want. Yeah. They don't have to live off of a menu and eat for only a half hour. But then inside we'd have people would be like, oh my God, your parents have so much money and I have nothing. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so even within the organization, there's levels. Absolutely. Just like on the outside. Just any, anything yeah. in life. Yeah. yeah. So when you were in, well, at school, did you go for the same length of time as um, regular school on the outside? Like, do you? No. Okay. No, it was, it was very much good because they wanted us to be, um, they wanted us to be good CIRIC members. We were being, like, that's what we were. We yeah. were, you know, CIRIC members in training. So it was a lot of, um, half of our day was Scientology studies and then the other half was sort of the three R's. But even that wasn't great like we we did courses but like we do like math mm-hmm. and that was you know its own thing and then if we wanted to research something the course literally said like you would do the course and the course would be like you can research something from these categories and so you got to pick okay. whatever you research and so you could be as specific as you wanted to be or not specific mostly it just meant if you wanted to learn about something so i studied things like the circus so okay. i know a lot about um, Barnum and Bailey and the Ringling Brothers, but when it comes to physics, I'm completely not <laughs> very educated. So it was very much that wasn't important, but mm-hmm. they were very. It, the three R's were very, very important. So reading, writing, and arithmetic. Um, again, um, so they they did push math quite a bit, but it was more that 
they wanted you to be at a level on those things where you were, and it was often said, better than your average person. So mm-hmm. you, we, we did have a certificate for each. So there was, you know, A, B, and C certificates, and each corresponded to one of those things. And so, like, here's the C certificate was the writing one. It was the only one I got. But um, <laughs> you had to write in cursive. Someone would read, and you had to write a certain amount of words within a certain amount of time with no um, faults. Oh, like you, you were allowed okay. like five faults or something, but it had to be in good cursive and it had to be. Mm-hmm. So we, and then, so if you got that certificate and stuff, so it was encouraged that you would get all three certificates. Okay. Um, and then beyond, so they tried that. That didn't really work. That was one of their trial and it, um, and trial and error things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they realized that like a lot of us were too young to work legally, um, unless we had our high school equivalent. So then they brought in a consultant who did sort of some teaching and stuff and geared us just to that. Like okay. really specifically, we were just to get our um, high school equivalent so that we could legally work. Wow. As, as people, it was very much, yeah, we were just, that was our training. And then on top of that, we had our Scientology studies. Okay. So were you... Um aware of things kind of happening in a haphazard kind of way while you were there or did it were you just sort of being told okay and this is the next thing that's happening now this is what you're going to be learning and this is what you'll be doing um i think we just all felt like a big part of everything like because the way it was run was we were run very similar to any of the other organizations so we had an organization board so we ourselves we had um a commanding officer and then we had a deputy commanding officer and we had divisions and we all had our own posts or jobs or whatever. So we, we were very much a part. So, um, the church is, is very geared towards, you know, you, you are a part of the organization. You were always a part of the Mm -hmm. organization. Everything else is, is just white noise. You are there to live and breathe the organization. So your schedule is very much geared towards that. We mustered God knows how many times a day. Um, and so we, we did that, but we did everything. So like uh, where we were was prone to bushfires and stuff like that. So we did all of the um, weeding. We had to do the fire breaks and stuff. And this is a 35 acre property to wow. try and protect from fires on all sides. So it's, it, we, but we did it. Like we, wow. it was very much. So I, I don't think we were really like Scientology as a religion felt like it was very much. It, that it was concrete everything was in writing literally everything was in mm-hmm. writing whether you could have pictures up was in writing um but then beyond that the organization ran because we made it run right like we did the cooking we did the cleaning we did to do like every so every week you would get csp which was clean ship program it's very naval okay. i don't know you probably saw a lot of that but yeah so um you get the morning to do all of cleaning of your ha- of your dorm, um, you have to do sort of any shopping. We would that's when we would go to Walmart, and then we'd also have to clean the entire property. And so we would do literally just line up all like three hundred of us and just walk from one end of the property to the end with plastic bags and just pick up trash wow. along the way. That's how we cleaned. Wow! Everybody. So it was like we we did all that. That okay. was yeah. It's kind of like a mix between the army. 
and, well, I guess the Navy based on, you know, Hubbard's background. (laughs) Yeah. And, and like, you know, I don't want to draw comparisons to cults and I'm not going to sit here and disparage Scientology. I'm also afraid (laughs) what might happen. (laughs) But, um, you know, there are a lot of um, cults that do have people living and running the entire place from within and not getting exposed to much on the outside. It, I guess you could say that. I, I, I do understand a lot of people's fear about the church and about them lashing back and all that sort of stuff. But I do watch it and I, I do see what happens. And for the most part, it's a defense mechanism. It's mm. not, they're not, they're going on the attack because it's so, it is such a, I think when you sort of take a step back, you realize how uncertain everybody is. Like everyone in their jobs and stuff, they're only doing it to impress mm-hmm. one person. They're only doing it because they think they they believe that this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. They believe that they so a lot of them are willing to lie, are willing to do whatever it takes to forward it. And I think that I think it's hard to be so hard on Siri members myself, not only because my family's in it and not only because I've been there, but a lot of them joined because they believe they're saving us. Like they genuinely believe their intentions are good. And a lot of them have have forgotten what it's like to be a person. Like if you do anything good, it's because Scientology did it. Mm. Like Scientology as a group did it. Even if your statistics are uptrending, it helps Scientology as a group. And if you do anything bad, you're doing it. Like if they catch you, it's sort of like you're doing this when we're trying to save the rest of humanity so you lose yourself mm. and so a lot of these people i see them in the interviews and i see them and i see them squandering they don't know what they're doing they yep. don't know how to respond they don't know what to do they they fumble and they hope they're doing the right thing and a lot of them when they do come on the the attack towards people like mike render and stuff who have spoken potentially me um they do it because they're trying to defend themselves they're trying mm-hmm. to make us seem inconsequential so that we can be seen as liars and yeah. all that sort of stuff and that they stay true and I don't I think that's hard like I think that's mm. hard like I I don't agree with the way that they're going about it by any stretch of the imagination but I'm also very aware that you know I'm doing this yeah and that's a possibility and yeah if it happens it you know it happens it sucks but you know it yeah yeah and but I-, I know as well like they're they would be worried about me just so my mom works very very hard my a lot of my family are very, very hard workers. They've been there for a long time. They've dedicated a lot of their life to it. Mm-hmm. And they'd hate to lose them because I've said something that they agree with. Yeah. And that suddenly changes their mind about the church. Absolutely. And I think that's why we have to be careful and yeah. name the fact that we're being careful. Because, Absolutely. you know, you are doing everything you can to be respectful of the people that are still there, that you love dearly, and you understand their position. And I think it helps for people to hear this perspective because yeah. what we see is the very much sensationalized version of well, that's i mean it is it, it is it is a very very sensationalized i have seen i'm not saying that these people have it like i have seen a lot of the stories and there are a lot of them i i agree with mm. very very much and the chances are you know trying to explain that to people in such a short amount of time yes of course you're gonna you know yeah cut it down to you know sound but yeah and is it bites or bits? Mm, bites. Uh, sound bites. Um, <laughs> of course you're going to do that. And I completely yeah. understand. And I have seen a bunch of people who have been wronged by the church. Mm. I'm not saying the church is completely void, but no, I've been like, the, no, not at all. They're not mm. the, the victim in this. But I think that there's been a little bit from both sides. And yeah. I think that, yes, I, I do try to 
remain. And as I've sort of said, one of the reasons I am doing it um, sort of anonymously is more that, and I sort of told you, I do love my mother and I do, I, while I think it's misguided, I can understand I don't want her, her to think that I'm doing it to hurt her. I don't mm. want her to think that because the church, it, because of her frame of mind, she'll think she is Scientology. And she mm-hmm. is, that's, that is who she is. Yeah. And I don't want her to think that my speaking out about my experiences um, because of her, I don't want her to think that, that like my, if you think about it, my mother has been in for God knows how long. And um, God, it would be nearly 50 years for 40 some odd years. I don't know. And she, I don't even know if you can swear. You can totally swear. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she hasn't even gone clear. Mm-hmm. Like she's not even at the base wow. of the bridge. So a lot of the information that she's fighting to protect, she doesn't even know. Wow. She hasn't even, she does, she believes that what the church is doing is right, mm-hmm. but she doesn't actually know what she's fighting for. Yep. So it's a, it's a hard line. It it's is. It's a very hard line. And you know, that's probably, that can probably be said about a lot of people in the organization and it's that concept i guess of blind faith you know you're believing very much in the things that you've been taught to believe in and just i i um spent one holiday with this very religious christian couple um and i'll never forget she said to me and i use this all the time she said to me uh, because i was asking her as you know we all do at some point try to poke (laughs) holes and so i was you know talking about all the stuff I'd seen on TV and, you know, the things in the Bible that are wrong. And I was saying it to her and I was asking her these questions that I thought were incredibly intelligent. She turned to me and she said, um, it wouldn't be called faith if you had all the answers. Mm. And I mean, it's, yeah, it's a very easy way to push something and basically say, I have no accountability in this, but it is true. Well, it is true. It It keeps you on the hook, doesn't it? Exactly. And I do, I genuinely believe my mom, my mom thinks she's doing the best thing for the world. Yeah. For the universe, for our eternity. It's yeah. not even just, you know, right now. It's yeah. for our eternity. It's fun. <laughs> well, please thank her for me the next time you speak to her. Hey, mom. For, um, well, you don't know yet, but you That's will. That's right. <laughs> I want to move on from your childhood, but I just sort of um, something sprang to mind when you were saying there were 300 of you kids there. I again roughly give my up. details are sure well a large number very large I mean just on a personal level I'm I'm curious you know when kids are growing up you might become interested in people were there relationships going on yes yeah yeah and we also were such a, a vast age difference mm-hmm. so a lot of the people moved to the property a lot of the older kids moved to the property beforehand because the property wasn't set up to have sort of people living there so they did a lot of the work to sort of get it ready for us to move up. Okay. And so um, as soon as it was, then we moved up there and stuff. So I was, you know, very young. And I joined the Sea Org when I was 13. Uh, again, details. So sometimes I tell people it was 11. Sometimes I tell people it was 13. I think it was closer to 13. So I hadn't even hit puberty then. Mm. Um, but because we did have a lot of kids who um, who were older, like I, I can remember one of the kids was like 20 or something. And he just never... wasn't rushed to join the Sea Org. He wasn't Mm -hmm. sort of in a rush to do that. So there were a lot of, you you would get a lot of things that would happen that were inappropriate. There was a lot of, um, but like, you know, eight-year-old kids playing with 
each other and tying each other to posts. Apparently that happened. Mm. Um, and there was a lot of things that should never have happened because, but 300 plus kids and 10 staff, how do you monitor that? Yep. And we got really good. Like, um, they'd have, we all had our dorms and we'd all be in bed and stuff. And I had a particular group of friends who, um, we, we knew security would come in at certain intervals and they'd come with flashlights and just check that everyone was still in bed and stuff. And so we just, you know, did the whole stuffing of the pillows and stuff. It's a cliche, but it works when you're young. <laughs> it really, really does. And we, so we would, we'd skip out and go. So we got really good at sort of doing that. And I remember there was um, two of my friends, they were very much about that. And so I would go and then I was the uncomfortable third wheel who would lay off to the side <laughs> while they did their canoodling. Right. Yeah. And was there, was there ever any like drinking or smoking or anything that, you know, maybe other teenagers might be doing mm. on the outside? No alcohol. Okay. As, as far as I can remember, I don't remember anyone really drinking. They might've mm. when they went home to their families, um, but no alcohol. A few kids kind of delved into cigarettes, but it was strongly discouraged. Okay. Um, and so some of them did it secretively but mm-hmm. or stole cigarettes and stuff but again we were we were just babies we yeah. were really really young yeah in the church though again no drinking um however um every year we'd have what was called the bosun's party mm-hmm. and that was kind of your night to do anything all um, the all things. of it all of the things all of the <laughs> yeah. things and they yeah we looked forward to the bosun's party and a lot of alcohol would be provided and okay people and a lot of people smoked Okay. A lot of people smoke. Mm. Yeah. So there were some outside influences, but just, you know, it was frowned upon in at, a major way. Yeah, at yeah. our school. Yeah. Very okay. Much. Yeah. So do you remember becoming aware at any point of people leaving Scientology or leaving the Sea Org even? Yes. Um, but it was, again, you were villainized. Mm-hmm. Um, one girl that I was gr- growing up with, she wanted to be um, a rock star. She started playing the guitar and they formed a band and um, and she loved it, absolutely loved it. And I think at one point she said that she wasn't going to actually join the Sea Org. She was going to um, be a rock star. Um, and she was given what was called a committee of evidence where they sort of decide on a disciplinary action based, they take all the evidence into account and then decide on a disciplinary action. But it was things like that were highly, highly villain, villainized. Mm-hmm. We did have one girl who was um, quite a rebel. And I remember I really looked up to her. She was one of the older girls. So I don't know if that was because of, you know, education reasons or whatever, but she, um, I remember she used to stand up a lot and just be, and then they threaten her. They'd be like, well, we're just going to get rid of it. We're just going to. And she was like, okay. I remember one day she particularly, it was like all of us were a buzz. Cause she was just like, we're just going to, uh, they were like, we're going to get rid of you. And then she was like, okay, do it. She called their bluff and they couldn't cause her parents mm-hmm. were in the Z-Org and they can't just like get rid of the parents. So then they had like a sit down with her and stuff like that. But I remember a few times she was like one of the real defiant ones. And she was, wow. She was a bit of hero. I bet. <laughs> so do you then do you then get to hear from her perspective what actually happened, like what the ramifications of that behaviour would be, or do you just hear it from the senior people who say, don't no, get no, any so ideas? She stayed, she stayed and she, um, she, yeah, she it was just kind of like we kind of knew, 
Like we we were never brave enough. It's a very very interesting thing because we again we were in rural property in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. and so we did have a few instances where people would just leave, mm-hmm. which you're not supposed to do. I mean, okay, yeah, kids walking on the highway, but some kids um, actually nearly made it all the way back to LA, which is probably about a two hour drive. So it took them a long long time. Then they were picked up by the police and they came back, and you know, big big thing. And a few times. Um, so one time I did because I left because a few of my friends were doing it. And I was like, well, if you're going, I'm going to go because I'm very much a sheep. And then um, <laughs> um, after that, it kind of became this thing where like, oh, well, he's done it before. So like when people decided they were going to leave, they would grab me. And I was like, OK, like I just I liked <laughs> being wanted. So yeah. I, I I wasn't. <sighs> I, w- I didn't think of myself as a particularly bad kid, mm-hmm. although I'm sure if they decide to go on the tech, they'll find things that I've done when I was very, really young that I'm not particularly proud of. But um, I, I kind of got roped into a lot because I, yeah, I just admired that, I guess, mm-hmm. that sort of defiance. Well, I guess there's something in all of us as kids and adolescents that there's that kind of rebellion that is teens are famous for so, yeah absolutely you know if someone's going and doing the wrong thing then hey i want to try that too and yeah. i want to see how far i can push the boundaries and what i can get away with and but i remember like one particular walk it was grueling and it was really really hot and i was walking for a long time and my fingers were sweating oh my things were swollen and i was puffy and bloated and i just kept thinking like i was like yeah, at what point are we going to turn around? Like, I knew they had done it yeah. because they wanted to leave, but I was very much like, mm, I think I've overcommitted to this. <laughs> and then, sure enough, as it did every time, someone would come and find us, and then we'd go back. Actually, I think that particular time, we went to, like, the nearest store, got some, like, ICs, and then because we didn't want to walk back, we just called them. We were like, oh, also, we're, we're at the neighboring town. Oh <laughs> so God. they came and picked us up. It's a long walk. It's a very okay. long walk. And is there, then, a punishment that, comes from something like that yes yeah nothing um the, the that was another thing as well like at our school we had what was called the cadet coordinator and that person oversaw um the all the operations of the school they weren't a part of our organization they were above our organization mm-hmm. they were the adults who ran all of the staff and all of that and they um and so there were a few times where we had really really strict one particular really really strict guy and he was so strict that they actually got rid of him on a number of occasions because he did things that he really shouldn't have, you know, throwing rocks, kicking kids, all that sort of stuff. Like he was really bad. Wow. And, the, and the church knew about it. Mm-hmm. And I guess much like any other church, they tried to relocate him. Mm-hmm. But I think, and I almost understand it, um, he ran us with fear in mind. And he was very much also from a from a... Uh, like an army background and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he, he, he did. We marched a lot. We'd march on hot days. If we complained about it, we'd have to march in straight lines and he'd fire a fire hose at us to cool us down. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were punished, sometimes we'd have to stand at attention for hours on end and kids would, like I saw one particular kid pass out and that was a couple yeah. times that happened. So he was really, really harsh. And I knew, I know that the church was, knew it. Because they tried to move him and relocate him a few times. And then they'd bring in someone softer and stuff. And then we'd... And I think when you have that many kids, there are very way, few ways to manage that few kids. And one of them is through fear. Yeah. And when he was there, he did well because we listened. Because mm. he was terrifying. Um, 
And so when I left, it was during one of the sort of lighter occasions and they were a bit nicer about, <laughs> about what it was. I don't know that I ever would have left when he was the cadet coordinator. Okay. I think I would have been too scared. Mm, well, yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> no, he was, he was particularly terrifying. Well, that's a good segue. I mean, when when did you start to have thoughts about leaving? What was it for you that, I mean, was there an event that triggered it or was it a Leaving slow- the Sea Org as a whole or leaving yeah, the well, school? Well, no, leaving the Sea Org as a whole. Um, it was kind of a lot of things that went went wrong. Um, I did something I shouldn't have. Um, and we were kind of going back and forth about it. And so I was supposed to go to um, Gold, Golden Air Productions and stuff, because I, I really wanted to be an illustrator. And I thought, that's something I can do and I can do well. Um, and I was sort of on the track to do that. And then they went, so I started doing that and then it all kind of went wrong and they noticed that I wasn't a particularly great I had like, you know, things that I hadn't done. I hadn't had like a consecutive um, year worth of like trouble free, I guess, ethics mm-hmm. and stuff. So they wanted me to, in order to go to gold, they wanted me to go back and just have a year of just good, just being a good person yeah. the whole time. And um, I went back to do that and then something else came up and then it was just, it got to this point where, their own policies kind of was at a detriment to me because um, I got into a job that I thought I could do and I could do well. And then, you know, the captain who was there didn't want me there um, because she needed, she was trying to fulfill a certain quota and she needed a different sort of staff member. And she thought I was the one that she could move. But because I really liked my position, I had the right as a staff member to basically say, I can hold this because you've been appointed me this position. I can Mm -hmm. hold this. And the only way you can move me is with the committee of evidence. And she, I guess, I don't know if she didn't want to do it or she found it too much trouble. And then it was just back and forth and it was just policies being used to block. And I sort of, I think that was when I sort of noticed, I guess, I mean, there, there've always sort of been moments where I've been, where I've wondered, but I think because of that, I started being like, this is shit. And so in one particular instance, I went away to stay with my, like with some offshoots of our family. And I kind of, it was just so nice to be away from it mm. and the drama of it and all that sort of stuff. And then, um, I got on the track or oh, then I got back and I kind of was like, I don't want to do this. And I was just so tired of all of it. I didn't want to fight anybody anymore. I didn't want to fight to keep my own job. I didn't want to do any of that. And I kind of was like, no, I'm done. And then I started on the process to leave. Um, and when you're leaving, you, again, this is where they've kind of changed their policies to suit, or at least they did at the time. I don't know what they do now. But um, when you're leaving, you're supposed to stay on your post and you're mm-hmm. supposed to continue because they don't want anyone else to know. They don't want it to become sort of infectious. Yeah. So you can be declared for telling other people that you're leaving. Right. Yes. But... It, you, so the idea is that you stay on your post and then you do the leaving sort of process there. They had sort of changed it and they kind of, if you were leaving, they put you in a separate unit and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, which kind of ruined the whole purpose. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so they put me on that, pro- they put me on that process and um, I was, I was being really compliant and doing it, but there were a lot of people who wanted to leave 
um, faster than I did. And so you can do a lot of things to sort of expedite your process, namely like um, threatening suicide. Obviously, they don't want that in the news or anything. So they try and get rid of you as quickly as possible. They put you on 24-hour watch and then try to get rid of you as soon as possible. Um, Causing any sort of, if you've got family drama where your family's potentially going to go out and, you know, talk to the press, then they try to get rid of you as quickly as possible as well. So I went on um, and then I had a bunch of people who were taking advantage of that and jumping sort of ahead of me and going, and I was trying to be as compliant and do my process as it was. And then it got to the point where I kind of said, look, I, I got to the point actually on the thing. So they did, they did get a few people to try and discourage me from going. Um, and I, there were people I really respected and admired and who I still really respect and admire. I think they were really, really great people. And they, they nearly got me. Mm-hmm. And I think the big thing in the end that really, really pushed me was I was doing that for seven months. Wow. And I was like, if I ever get the inclination to leave again, I'll have to go through all of this again. And I think it was at that point where I was like, it's such a long process to leave. Um. And they, they terrify you about leaving. So it is a big, big decision. Like I, I remember one of my bosses used to tell me all the time, oh, you're such, you're so awful. You'd never survive in the outside world. You'd never no. make it. You, no one would hire you. You're useless and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I don't think he meant, I think mostly he did it out of anger. Like he was mm. just really annoyed with me. This isn't a policy. You don't go around yeah. telling people that as a general thing. He was particularly, he found me particularly frustrating, which I understand. Um <laughs> And so he would tell me, you, you'll never succeed and all that sort of stuff. And there was just a, a big part of me that was like, I was so far in the process that I was like, if I leave and, and then I hate it, then I'll do my steps to come back. Mm-hmm. But I'll never, I guess, I'll regret it if I don't even try it. Yeah. And so, and I, at that point I had gone for so long, I was like, if I start this process again from the beginning, mm. I'm going to have to go through all this crap again. Yeah. So it sounds like you were really quite rational. You know, it wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. You were you were doing things with consideration. I think it, I think in general, I tried to be. Mm. There were definitely a few things in there that were knee-jerk, knee-jerk reactions. Um, at one point, one of the people who I talk about, who I did respect and admire so much, I did make her chase me for a long time. <laughs> she was trying to grab on me, and I did that whole like fun thing where you know you're so close to grabbing someone, but they just keep running around an object like a car. <laughs> oh my god! And so we did that for a while, and she was running in high heels and stuff. Oh my god! And she ama- again, an amazing person. So I did. There were a lot of things that I did that I'm not again not entirely okay. proud of, but um, as a general thing, I I think, and at this point some of my family had already left. Okay. And I think I, I um, there were a couple members that I really admired and I, I was kind of like, I want to see, like, I, I, I've got to do this. I've mm-hmm. really got to do this. And yeah, so I was like, yep, I'm going to do it. And wow. that's going to be that. So how old were you when, when you finally left? <sighs> Details. Um, or- I think I was about 17, 18. Okay, wow. Yeah. Because if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, if you leave when you're of age, um, they give you some money. So they give you like five hundred dollars or something. And I think they just wiggled out of doing that because I okay. think I was just before eighteen. Okay, can't remember the exact specifics, but I think it was about that age because they wiggled out of giving me the wow the extra money. So then you're potentially seventeen. You're told, okay, you're done. So yeah. you 
do you pack a bag and walk out the gates and then go, now what? No. So um, for the most part, they will try to, because um, again, they don't want to be seen as, you know, villainous or anything like that. So they will try to help you find. So I did, I did there were members of security and stuff who gave me a few options. Okay. Um, I had some people who offered me to stay with them. They were sort of kind of family um, and yeah, I went to go live with them, which was not exactly a blessing and kind of helped deter me and like push me in the opposite direction as well. Okay. So it was, it was just like back to back things that were just a series of unfortunate events that sort of led to my, but no, for the most part. So a lot of the kids that I've grown up with who have left, but are still in good standing with the church mm-hmm. have gone to like, uh, like a bunch of them went to go live at one house and stuff. And they put you with, Often they'll help you find a job with a with a um, an enterprise that is that does use the technology, or they'll um, try, they'll put you up with people who are because yeah. they want to sort of keep you in. They're yeah. not they're not looking to really get rid of you. And if they can get you back in, then they yeah. will. And so a lot of the people that like I sort of went to live with still went to a lot of the events, and still it was still very much that sort of thing. And a lot of them were like, "So when are you going to get back in?" Like it was mm. there was still that big push yeah. to sort of stay involved in Scientology. Okay. I imagine it'd be different if you were declared. I think then they'd kind of yeah. just give you the boot and be like, here's your money, fuck off. <laughs> maybe not <laughs> No, maybe not even here's your money. <laughs> I, I don't know. So is it difficult for you to find your feet? I mean, once you were really out of the system? Um, there's so many, so many things happen. So after I left the church, I guess there's no way sort of getting around this without giving a little bit, but um, I went to go live with my stepdad who had recently left the Sea Org himself. And he was, that environment was very, very toxic. We ended up, he's very much believes himself to be a Scientologist. He's, um, so I went to live with, you know, my brother and his family and um, my stepdad's family, not my brother's family, but mm-hmm. we went to go live there. And there's so many things happened there that were just awful. Again, we were, just still in the throes of, of Scientology, but we, we just, so many bad things happen there, but particularly with my stepdad and, and all of that, we've um, sort of discussed it since, and you know, it is what it is. And we're trying to acknowledge that that was a time in our life where none of us were really acting Mm. splendidly, but um, it got, it got to the point where it reached such a fever pitch that I ran away from his house. My brother and I actually ran away and we went to go live with some other Scientologists. um, And then, from there, I was looking after the Scientologists I lived with. They had a, um, their mother was, uh, she had dementia. And so I became her sort of in-home nurse um, for, I think it was a dollar a day. Wow. Yeah, I think it was a dollar a day. But I could live there and they looked after me okay. for food and all this. So again, the same sort of mm. environment, the same sort of thing. We went to all the events. God, I think it was a dollar a day. Or was it a dollar? I think it might have been a dollar an hour. Okay. Well, I think it might have been a dollar an hour. Either way, but it's not great. It's not great. It's not. It's not. It's not funny. But it was twenty four hours a day. I lived in the room with her. Wow. I was, um, again, wonderful people. Really wonderful people, and they did their best to look after me. I mean, they weren't particularly affluent. They didn't yeah. have a lot of money, and they had, you know, and I basically just showed up on their doorstep. Yep. Um. So I did that, and then I still sort of remained well. And so a lot of the even the, when they were giving me that money their big push was like, so when you leave the Sea Org, 
when you're in the Sea Org, all of your services are free because you're a Sea Org member. Mm-hmm. But when you leave, they give you the debt of everything that you were. Oh my God. Everything that you've done. Because when you were in, it was for them. And then when you're out, it was for you. Um, so I did, all of us did. We all got a Sea Org debt. And um, so even though I was on that amount of money, they were like, um, now we're going to put this amount each week to your CRE debt. So, you know, so we can get that paid off. And so, so oh it, it was just God. very much, it was very much, it was crazy. It was it's, a crazy, crazy time. And it's essentially keeping you trapped because without money, like what can you what do? What can you do? But the, I'm not, I, I'm again, different, different people have had different experiences. Yeah. Some people have gone out and found their own jobs and done their own yeah. thing and stuff like that. I, I mean, you were a kid. I was still quite young. Yeah. Um, And it was, I started, I think I remember when I got my first job and I was so excited because I had enough money. Oh God, I bought so many DVDs, so (laughs) many DVDs. And I remember I would go, because I didn't have to be on a menu. Because even living at those houses, you ate what they provided. It was like my stepdad's house. It was very much, he would go and do the grocery shopping and the same thing at at the other house. Um, They would provide the food and so I remember when I like got my first job and I was making my own money I ate hamburgers almost every day hamburgers <laughs> with root beer and curly fries and a strawberry shake wow from, uh, as much as I could it was a very very fun time for me. it's like suddenly your childhood fantasies are coming true yes you can do whatever you want whatever I want I could stay up as late as I wanted yeah. it didn't matter yeah yeah it's it was I think one of the biggest things that I've sort of struggled with the most hasn't exactly been that I think one of the biggest things was when you are in an organization like that and you do focus your intent your attention on being a part of that organization you do lose yourself as an individual Mm -hmm. and for someone like me who was born into it um you you never figure out who you are because it's so it's to such an extreme um any any extraneous um emotion that they don't like is called H&R. It's literally called human emotion and reaction. Mm-hmm. It's a bad thing. So right. you, so if you're angry, it's H&R. If you're crying, it's H&R. So you, and this is 24 hours a day. Wow. So you have to, you get, you learn to become really good at, you just stop being you. You stop becoming, and you just live and breathe the organization. And you, yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest things I started to actually, I did see a therapist afterwards. And one of her big things was just, finding out who I was. And so she would just have me stop at any given time and just try to describe the, what I was feeling at that time. Yeah. And it was such a big thing for me. Like I was sitting there like, oh my God, like trying to find a single <laughs> word for how I was. And I'm like, should I be like this? Should I not be like this? Yeah. And everything's so black and white when you're in the church, you can do this and you can't do that. Mm. And then to come out and realize that that's not true. And also you, like in the church, if you want people to like you, you do what they tell you and everyone mm. will like you because they are the church. Everyone is the church. So if you're doing the right things, everyone likes you. Out here, I got so uncomfortable with the idea that people didn't like me. Mm. And it turns out I'm an irritating person. And so you get a lot of people who don't get my sense of humor or who don't understand me. And, and it, oh, for so long, I was sitting there like, but I think I'm doing the right thing. It's yeah. very weird to try and figure out who you are as a person when you're 20 years of age to yes. try and or I think in my case, when I finally started seeking therapy, I think it was like 25, but mm-hmm. it's such a slow process. And then yeah. you suddenly realize like, I don't even know who I am. Wow. And that, I think that's the hardest thing. It's not so much finding your feet afterwards because you always have the church and you always mm-hmm. have the belief that you can go back. It's when you completely cut ties and realize that there is something more and there is 
a life beyond everything you've yeah. known in your entire, you know, from, in my wow. case, from birth. So it's like unraveling all the work that's been put into you yeah. for your entire life, through your entire developmental phases of life. Yeah. You've been told you cannot feel this is what you'll think, this is what you'll do, this is how you'll behave. You can feel as long as it, like, you can be angry. You can feel as long as it's because the church, As long as it's for the church. Yeah, As right. long as it's with that in mind. Because if you yep. feel anything other than that, then it's H-E-N-R and it's, God, I forget the word that they used. That's probably a good good sign. <laughs> it's not, yeah. <laughs> um, counterintention. So okay. if you do if you do have HNR and it's counterintention to then it's not just counterintention to the church. It's counterintention to all mankind and all eternity. Like wow. it, it, I know that sounds it's, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. So yeah. then to realize that you actually don't I think that's one of the reasons I love the idea of existentialism and the fact that we just tiny insignificant speck in an otherwise indifferent universe. I love that. Yeah. I love the idea that I don't have that kind of effect yes. on, on anyone or anything. I think that's great. It must be so freeing after coming from where you've come. And it, from. Yeah. I mean, it's also terrifying. I guess anyway. Well, like, yeah. Like, but that's the human existential crisis, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, I mean nothing. <laughs> that's right. Nothing. Yeah, it's everything. Yeah, no, it's 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 very different. And yeah. I, I there is a part of me that really loves it. And there's a part of me that also finds it, you know, terrifying and overwhelming. So would you say at this point in your life, which, you know, is several years later from that therapy that you were doing, do you feel like you've like left that behind? Or, I mean, where are you in terms of your process of understanding sort of who you are and what that all meant to you? Um, I, I do forget it a lot. I think these days I do forget it. I also, so sort of, uh, I think once I got my, first job and I, I, I think I realized how much external influences I had and so I started just sort of severing those ties a lot of them also severed for me I have the blessing where I'm also gay which is um, not loved in the mm. church it's not a it's, and it's again this is kind of a fun sort of thing the church will say it's not against homosexuality but it can't deny that it says that it is an aberration. So they believe that it's something that can be cured, but they're not going to throw you out. They'll throw you out of the Sea Org for being gay, but in their defense, and I do do this in their defense, I lived in a dorm. Mind you, it was before really puberty hit. I lived in a dorm with 30 other people, Mm -hmm. 30 other men. Mm -hmm. So it would be a bit awkward if I were a gay man living Mm -hmm. in a dorm. I'm not saying that we, you know, as gay men, we we see any man and yeah. that's, you know, our desire, but there were some very attractive men in my dorm. Um, <laughs> and I thank God I didn't, you know, I yeah. wasn't hitting puberty at that age because that would have been very awkward. Um, but I got that where, so when I did come out, I got the blessing of a lot of people already starting that disconnect and already starting to cast me aside and push me away. Mm-hmm. And while it was a bit of a struggle at the time, cause that was, my world that was everything I knew and stuff I I started this and I also got very very lucky um the first person I came out to the very first person I came out to it's a very long thing that she said but her basic thing was that when you do come out you you get it's it's a blessing because when you do come out you reconstruct your life and you reconstruct everyone else's expectations not just your expectations she said you only get a few shots of this in life she said we're in life 
we start to live our life by other people's expectations and it'll stop us from being who we want to be and stuff because we worry about what other people think. Mm. And she said, you get very few opportunities where you get to free yourself of that and you get to be someone new. She said, a lot of people, when they move country, they get to do it. Um, When they come out, they get to do it because everyone's expectations fades away and you get to rewrite expectations and you get to discover more about yourself because Mm. you, you get to explore things that you may never have explored. And so when I, when I did come out to her, um, and it was a struggle. She used to come into work every night and she used to ask me, just be like, you're gay. And she used to joke and she used to prod and she used to prod. And I remember getting really, really angry at her. And I just was like, you just stop. It's not funny. Because I was really, you're worried. Someone's yeah. going to find out your secret. Like, you're really, really terrified. She used to, every night she used to come in, she used to prod me. And then one night I just snapped. And I, I sort of said to her, I was like, it's not funny. Stop doing it. It's not okay. And then she pulled away and then she came back to me about an hour later and she just said, you're right, it's not funny. It's not something I should be making fun of, but I believe you have this secret. And I, I think I'm going about it the wrong way, but I want you to know that if you want to talk, I, I don't care. I, I just want to know you. She's brilliant about it. Um, mm. And so she was, she was the first person I came out to and she did, she sort of said, you get to rewrite your life. You get to rewrite these expectations and you get to be a different person. And I'm, lucky enough that I've gotten to do it, you know, a couple of times. I think I've gotten too lucky because now I kind of at the stage of my life where I'm like, maybe I should just rewrite everyone's expectations. Because <laughs> um, I have, you know, moved and I have come out and I have done all that. But I think she was so instrumental and she sort of encouraged, she was saying, she encouraged me to sort of um, build my own life. And it was more about the battles and not the war. So I was telling people I lost a lot of people that if they if they're getting rid of you they you don't want them to be in your life yeah. anyway which is a hard thing to grasp mm. when, you're, when you're that young um I think it's a hard thing for anyone to grasp no one wants to yeah. be unliked Absolutely. but she was very much about you know then we started telling the people I did want to be in my life and then you know letting them decide and then it was picking the people like my family and all that sort of stuff and telling them mm-hmm. and so I think by this point a lot of so then I started coming out um, gay and I lost a lot of, you know, people from school and all that sort of stuff, which was actually, I think, a good pu- pushing point. Because I think once I started doing that, I got better at it and I got mm. better at understanding that you can have a life outside of that and you can build something outside of that. And then, you know, I moved countries and the same thing, you lose a lot of people. You pretend to stay in touch with some people and then you don't or, you know, just, it's a different life. And then I fell into, you know, the work that I have and the boss and she's great. She's always listened and not, and tried to help me. I think she's always been at a point where she's understood her limit. Like Mm -hmm. she'll, she'll push me to go a little bit further and to think a little bit more about things, um, but never made me feel like an idiot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important is when you go out, cause we had a different language. Like we said different words that no one had ever even heard of. Yeah. And they were words I'd known since I was a kid. And so yeah. I would say these things to people or even words that were used, but and he used it in a very different way. Yeah. And you feel like such an idiot. Mm. And there are a lot of people who look at you when you tell them that, you know, you've been in a church like this and they ask you, they're like, why didn't you leave? And it's such a big thing. Why yeah. didn't you leave? And I'm, you're sitting there like, I was, I, I mean, how do you explain to someone that yeah. that's my entire life? I didn't yeah. know anything else. Yeah. And someone said it in one of the, the um, things where he said, it's like committing a kind of suicide. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to sever all, 
every relationship you've had, every conversation you've had, you have to be willing to sever all of that and start a completely new life. Yeah. And it, it is, it's massive. Yeah. But I've been, I think while there have been so many things throughout, I've been really lucky that I've had people who've encouraged me and haven't made me feel completely like an idiot. Yeah. You always get people who will make you feel Absolutely. Yeah. In anything. Anything. But I think your story is amazing, James. And, uh, <laughs> and to catch my Such a good name. Yeah. Such a good name. <laughs> but, you know, it's really inspirational because, like you say, you have had to reinvent yourself. Well, not reinvent yourself, discover yourself and introduce yourself to the world a number of different times, all the while learning yourself who you are, how you feel about things, on every level, on a personal development scale, you've basically had to check everything off one by one, do yeah. the work, you know, over a number of years to get to this place now where you can be reflective and look at everything and say, well, that was this really. Is what happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think there'll be a lot of people that really connect to your story on a number of levels because, I mean, I think there's a lot of. There's a common thread with what you talk about in terms of your coming out story. I think probably a lot of gay people have similar kinds of stories where they're feeling marginalised or feeling afraid to actually take that step and tell the world, hey, this is who I am. For it's, I, And I think that's one of the big things is one of the things as well, just going slightly back to what you had said earlier, I think one of the things that I um, sort of when I was coming out, mm-hmm. um, I, a lot of people don't see both sides. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, when did you know? And all that sort of stuff. And often it's before. But in sort of the same way that I left the church and when I came out, it was more of a, I did know I was gay for a long time. I knew I had those sort of things. But I knew how much it would affect my life. And I Mm -hmm. thought for so long, it wasn't that I was lying to people. I wasn't going out of my way to lie things. I just wanted the status quo to stay as it was. And I thought I could live a life where I wasn't upsetting people and I wasn't mm. affecting other people's lives. Cause that was where, where it came into. I was worried that my coming out would affect my, obviously my girlfriend at the time, my family, all that yeah. sort of stuff. It was this thing where I was. And so I was, it wasn't that I was trying to lie to anyone. I just thought if I can live like this mm. and not upset other people and not affect other people, then why wouldn't I? Yeah. And But then it got to the point in my life where I knew that that wasn't going to be the case anymore. It wasn't a simple matter of can I live like, or, or will I deviate? Will mm. I do this thing? It was when will that happen? Yeah. And I think it was the same thing with the church was for the longest time I was, I know I'm, I'm not enjoying this, but I can do this without upsetting my parents. I can do this without upsetting my family. I can do this without. And then it got to the point where it was like, no, I can't. For, yeah. for me, I, I, I can't do that anymore. And I think that's probably a lot of things people struggle with is they're made, there is this thing where like a lot of families feel like they've been lied to and mm-hmm. it's, it's not so much that. They just don't want to hurt you. Yeah. And for a time they can you know, hold on to it and they can try to figure out a way to live where it doesn't affect you and it doesn't, maybe it doesn't affect them, but then it gets to the point where they just can't mm. and they just need to explore whatever it is or yeah. do whatever it is. Yep. But do you can you say that now because of how far you've come? Do you think you would have been able to say these things? No. Oh no, then? absolutely no. not. Yeah. I don't think but I don't think I knew 
happy, d- despite Scientology being, you know, the study of self uh, or, you know, um, I don't think I learned much about myself mm. in, in the actual church. I think it's so designed to, um, it, it, that you, you just think about this, like in, in Scientology itself, sure, there are a lot of processes and stuff, but in the seer, you're just designed to think of this end goal and clearing everyone and fixing everyone and, and doing all that sort of, so you, you really lose yourself. Mm. And I find it, that's why I try to separate sort of Scientology from the Sea Org is I find with the Sea Org, if they lose their, their own religion, they lose their own beliefs and they change it. And I can, un- I can, I can understand what some of the reasons like the same thing with having kids mm-hmm. what do you do if everyone's having kids i mean these are young people going in and the only time they can have sex is when they're married and so they get married when they're young and then they have sex and then they become pregnant and then you know some of them want to have kids yeah so what do you do like it's yeah. it's a it's a it's a hard line and then you get you know so many kids if you allow them to have kids which you know scientology encourages what do you do with all the kids? Like, yeah. I, I get why some of the things, but it's why I differentiate the two of them. There's the part of it that is the billionaire contract. It is the working for them. It is the, you know, 40 some odd dollars a week pay and losing yourself as a person. And then there's the part of it, which is, I mean, there are a lot of crazy things about the <laughs> belief structure, but it's, it's just a belief structure. Mm-hmm. It's not. So I, I tend to try to separate the two of them. Yeah. So what would be your message to, I guess, the wider audience? You know, people that have watched those shows like the Leah Remini show after Scientology, yeah. I think it was called, um, and other documentaries where people have come out and said some really, you know, awful things about what was happening in there. I mean, do you have a message for people or do you feel like... No, I... I, again, I try to stay relatively back from it. Mm. Um, I think it's a big thing that it has, as I sort of said before we started the interview, I think it is such a big thing where it has been such a huge facet of my life for so many years. And it was, my entire life was planned and everything was was all that. Just It just absorbed every part of me that I think there's a large part of me that just, I just don't want to do it. Like, yeah. I just don't want to... I just don't have any more energy to spend. I mean, after this interview and whatever mm-hmm. repercussions there may be, I don't have any more. So I do have friends on either side. And mm-hmm. I, I try to encourage them to believe. Like, I have friends that are very anti, and I completely understand why. And I know exactly what they went through. And I can, and I can say, you know, I'm so glad they get to discover who they are. Um, I think my biggest thing that I would hope is that anyone who leaves the church gets to find out who they are, gets mm-hmm. to discover who they are. Cause this is a really, really big thing where in the church, they keep pushing the message. The reason to join Scientology is to, to discover who you are. Mm-hmm. And yet for me, and I know a lot of the people, the kids that I grew up with and the people that I worked with, you lose that. And I think mm-hmm. when you're under this thing where you're constantly told you're learning who you are, you're learning, you think you do, you think, you know, everything you yeah. think you're, and I think it's, I think probably my biggest thing would be just maybe fun. Like, I think I just, yeah. Cause it's, it's one of the big things uh, we, I discuss with um, uh, my boss is she, she'll be like, well, do you want your, your mom to leave? Do you want, you know, are you wanting your, your family to leave? And I, 
I don't know. I don't think she would know anything else. Mm. I don't think she'd be able to. Do, I mean, I do as much as I can to help, but that is, I guess, um, one of the things that they sort of say in uh, going clear the prison system of belief is they they're talking about when everyone's trapped in that that um, room and they're all being made to eat off the floor and they're all mm. being, you know, there's that level. And they said if the FBI came and opened the door and said you're free, you know, we've come to free you that they would just say, no, 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 we want to be doing this. And that is because you become the church. Yeah. You do. You think you deserve it. You think whatever you've done, whatever action you've done, you deserve it. Mm-hmm. And so I think even trying to encourage my mother to leave is such a hard process because yeah. she innately believes that what she's doing is right. And she will innately believe if she knows about it, she will innately believe that what I'm doing is wrong because I'm attacking a religion that's trying to save humanity and mm-hmm. eternity. So it's kind of one of those things where I'm like, I hate to say it, but I'm sort of wash my hands of it yeah. and try to just let people do them. And then, you know, if they say things I agree with, I'll agree with those things. And if they say things I don't, I might give a suggestion, but mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't blatantly be like, stop that. You're yeah. awful. But maybe that's the best way for you to live your life in a healthy, you know, self-loving kind of way because if you're harboring all those pressures and thoughts about what other people should and shouldn't be doing and you know letting that fester away and building that resentment then you know it's just going to be a negative thing for you yeah and you're going to have it just your life's going to be bad like if you focus on the negative you're just going to have a negative Yeah. yeah well james i think that's a really great place to leave the interview and I just want to thank you so much for being so candid and sharing so much of your story because I know that it is a risk that you're taking and I'm so grateful that you trusted me with your story and I hope that everyone listening can respect the story and you know take it as it is and take a bit of James's advice on board and you know everyone work on themselves and let everyone else do them do them yeah yeah That was my pleasure. Thank you. Mm